0: Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's $1 US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc.
1: Hello, welcome to this week's edition of Book Shambles. This is Cosmic Shambles producer Trent off the top as usual. Uh, If you've listened to this week's episode of Science Shambles, you will already be aware of the fact that I have a cold. So that's why I sound like this. There is a new Science Shambles podcast out this week. Robin is chatting to Dr. Linda Kremenisi and Dr. Brenna Hassett about neutrinos and archaeology and where the two might mix. Brain Yapping is our brand new podcast with Dr. Dean Burnett and Rachel England. If you've not checked that out yet, uh, make sure you do search for that in whatever app or website or wherever you listen to podcasts or just go to CosmicShambles.com slash Brain Yapping for all the links. Uh, Same for Science Shambles, you'll find that where you get all your podcasts, wherever that may be. If you happen to be in Manchester, we are doing a free event on International Women's Day, March 8. We'll be doing a live science shambles with four of the women who were part of our Cosmic Superheroes exhibition last year or end of 2017, start of 2018. If you want to be specific, that will be at Manchester University with Helen Chersky, Ginny Smith, Susie Gage and Sheena Crookshank. Go to the events pages on, or the events page, rather, on CosmicShambles.com to find all the information about that. And while you're there, why not check out our new online shop where you can get uh, Book Shambles book bags, uh, shirts, comics, uh, signed copies of Robin's book, all sorts of stuff. All the purchases there are help. Us keep making everything that we do for the Cosmic Shambles Network, as well as the support we get from our brilliant Patreons. And you can become one as well at patreon.com/slash book shambles. As always, thank you for your support. Uh, without that, we wouldn't be able to keep making book shambles or do any of the other stuff that we do. So thank you very much for your pledges. And now it's on to this week's episode, which is a comics special with uh, Robin in studio with Tom Oldham of Breakdown Press and our regular comics expert, Nat Metcalf.
0: Right, well, uh, hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Uh, Josie is not here today uh, and uh, she will be back soon, hopefully. Uh, Today we're joined by Tom Oldham and Nathaniel Metcalf, both whom, well, Nat, I've known for a while from the uh, stand-up circuit mm-hmm. and doing various kind of odd gigs, including doing uh, Jose's gig uh, that we used to do up in, uh, in Camden. And, Tom, I think I met you the first time in the Notting Hill Book Exchange. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah, is <laughs> one, one of my favourite um, book exchanges because most of the people that I know who work there do also, they make movies and they do comic strips and they are it's, it's got a tremendously, uh, or certainly has had a tremendously um, creative group of people who sell me these strange books that
2: yeah. I buy there there's yeah, a book yeah, in yeah. the exchange isn't there there could be a book of uh, there's there's definitely there's definitely a book, a book in, to these, be written. in the
3: in in the 6 months that I worked there briefly many years ago there's a, there's a book in that yeah um, i mean sadly you probably can't talk about it <laughs> I, I can't really. It was it was mostly it was mostly acts of violence perpetrated
0: by the staff towards customers that um, that, that pleased me the most. Um, I, I I love the eavesdropping on when when the old because it's moved now, but it's only moved a few doors up. Yeah, but in that old shop in particular, you would get very strange, aggressive people coming in and going, "Do you have Silver Surfer number 73? And they go, "No, we haven't." Oh. Well, thank you very much. And then storming out and going, Mm. oh... Or why are why are these books not worth more? I want to sell it. Well, you've just brought a bag of Judith Crantz books that you found in a skip. <laughs> we can give you one pound exchange for that.
3: <laughs> you do when I when I worked there once. Someone brought a uh, someone actually brought. Do um, you know those old recycling boxes that they used to have? The blue ones. Mm. Someone just brought one of those blue recycling boxes <laughs> filled with uh, like old um, L magazines in, and just dumped it on the thing. And it's like you've just picked this up from someone's house. And you you've just stolen their recycling box <laughs> with it, um, but yeah, pe- people try and sell all sorts in there.
2: Isn't there a thing where there was um, nothing was refused, right? Was that their policy?
3: Yeah, so you would have to offer people a penny for okay. stuff. If someone brought in like uh, a, a, a Guardian supplement dripping with goo, um, <laughs> you'd have to give them a penny okay. for it. Um, but I, I believe I believe that that is now that a policy policies. that is okay.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I would say that, that they no longer have the great big dank cellar that was filled with all of those, you know, all the books that yeah. were, you know, 50p, 10p. So mm. now they've lost the dank cellar. They've had to be a little bit more specific in... Uh, I am always pick up brilliant stuff there, though. Um, but we'll start off by talking about, because also uh, both of you for a while um, worked in Gosh Comics, mm-hmm. and Gosh Comics also, uh, again, that's another place where quite often on the table uh, some of the books... That There are books that have been created by people who work there. And um, now your thing is uh, publishing as well. Yeah. Breakdown Press. Yeah. Which is, uh, what I wanted to start on, you've you've republished something, which is I remember from my childhood, which is kind of remarkable and brilliant, which is the book After Man by Douglas Dixon. Yeah. Yeah. Dougal. Uh, is it is it's it's Dougal? Dougal? Yeah. It's Dougal Dixon.
2: And uh, do
0: you know, I've always thought of him as Douglas. Do you know, so have it, I.
2: I just, I had that same uh, moment in my head. I went, oh, I've been reading it wrong for months and months.
0: Well, they, anyway, so I wasn't as big a fan of. I was a huge fan of Douglas Dixon.
1: Anyway, let's move on.
0: <laughs> let's move on to the next book. Uh, the, but this is, this is such a. Uh, it, it's got an introduction by uh, Desmond Morris. It's uh, a book of incredible illustrations and imagined animals yeah can you tell us a little bit about how did the, how did this come about just this 30 35 years is it 36 years after it
3: first yeah. came out yeah yeah so um, after man was a, it was a bit of a sales sensation in the 80s um, and I remembered it from my childhood um, and when I tried to get a copy it was it was stupid amounts of money on you know uh, online so um, uh, we just we just approached Dougal about republishing it um, and he was very very keen uh, and the rights uh, The rights lay with a uh, a company that now mostly uh, published books about healing crystals and astrology um, so I think it was sort of in their, in their catalogue but not part of their purview um, so I think they were quite happy for us to do it as well um, and it's it's been a really lovely experience in publishing it for, for multiple reasons uh, first of all it's the first book that we published that wasn't a comic and so um, the sales have been quite phenomenal uh, quite the racket all those uh, traditional book publishers have been
2: running. So it turns um, out that comics aren't as big yeah, as regular books. Exactly, yeah <laughs> Wow. Wow. I, was, I, was, I was quite surprised at this. Um, I think I've wasted about fifteen years of my life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> um, and um, uh, and also, what, what's lovely about it is, like you say, uh, uh, the amount of people that pick it up, and you sort of see the the thing because because I work in a shop as well. I get to see people picking it up, and like a little spark in their head goes. They sort of the recognition goes, and then they sort of fall into this. Ah exhalation of excitement. And that's, that's lovely. Uh, and, and people are always thrilled to find it back in
0: print, which is really nice. Because the, the basic... For those who don't know, the, the Afterman idea is where... Where will evolution go next? Particularly, yeah. kind of mammalian evolution is 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 is, is the dominant part. The idea of it.
3: being that man's died out as well. Yeah.
0: there's no more humans. Which which he, as he says in the introduction, he said it wasn't really meant to be some dystopian. Oh, because some people in the early eighties were going, oh yeah, it's a doom laden thing. He went, no, I just thought, well, move, remove human beings from the equation. Mm. Yeah. There's the, you don't have to think too much that there's some kind of, you know, after a terrible Armageddon, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you, you have these, you know, you know the, the rundy horn and the gigantelope and just the, the possibilities of where mutation, heredity and natural selection will go next as conditions change. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it started a whole, um, it started a whole genre of sort of like speculative evolution, um, which has carried on with people now like Darren Nash and stuff like that, um, and, and and really was the the first to sort of to sort of popularize um, this this theme, um, uh, and you know, it it sort of has taken on a bit of a life of its own. With After Man was translated into a TV show with like stop motion animation in Japan, which is great. You get to see these sort of like crumbly sort of plasticine versions of the creatures in the book with Dougal sort of wandering amongst them um, but but also there was uh, the BBC did, uh, was it the futures wild or something like yeah. that um, which was like a walking with dinosaurs version of of after man um, which Dougal worked on as a consultant but it's it, it, it really is a sort of um, a, a, a book that that sort of sparked uh, a sort of a more uh, creative way of looking at um, uh, a more creative way of looking at evolution, and a more creative way of looking at, uh, uh, at sort of how animals have, have developed.
0: Well, that's a nice thing. I know a lot of biologists and geneticists who do really like this book. Yeah, know? yeah. It, it, it's not so fanciful that it goes into the realms that it can sit next Absolutely to. Not. You know how to make love as a
2: Pisces. Yeah, and the yeah. various other things <laughs> yeah, that are,
0: are in the the previous publishers.
2: Um, <laughs> and so, to what extent is it? Is it based on on actual things that may occur or may, yeah, how much totally. of it is fictional or totally. how much is no, I mean,
3: uh, uh, I mean, the, the intention is none of it. So, I mean, it, obviously it's all yeah, speculative, uh, speculative yeah, yeah. But, um, but, 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 but I mean, it's all rooted in real science right to, to the extent that um, a lot of the criticisms that it received at the time um, uh, have now, have now sort of been done away with um, by, by current sort of scientific thinking. So there's a, there's a beastie in it that's, uh, that's sort of like a, an evolutionary um, uh, end point or, or like future point of cats, which show them sort of like swinging through the trees. <laughs> and at the time... Uh, Dougal, D- dougal's a man who uh, he's a lovely man and he, he he takes criticism um uh not badly but but quite personally like he mm. feels it um and he 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 got really rinsed out about this this particular beastie because the 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 the, the bone something about like the bones in cat's paws could never possibly um lend themselves to you know, hanging and, and stuff right. like that. Um, but uh, but but now there's sort of videos on YouTube of of cats doing exactly this and, and, and sort of stuff. So, um, so 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 a lot of stuff, even at the time that was sort of ridiculed as being too fantastical or too far fetched, um, has sort of has sort of oh, won right. out in the end. it sort of which comes is to yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: that's what I love about you know again the speed of change. I was doing a show on Infinite Monkey Cage recently where within this century there was kind of this, you know, maybe there's a few people who've got some Neanderthal, uh, you know, DNA, because maybe there was just a little bit of occasional shagging with it. And now, you know, yeah. within the last 10 years, pretty much, they've gone, it turns out we've all, yeah. we've, you know, your ancestors were all shagging around with Neanderthals. Yeah. And, and and just, you know, all of those Probably little bits changes of understanding are, yeah, yeah. are fantastic. Do you find it... Now, now now that you don't work at Gosh Comics because you've got a million pound deal with Nick Helm to do food bar radio <laughs> that's right, that's You're right. living off that that yeah, of entirely. Um, do you find that it saved you money? <laughs> because I can imagine that I've always found when I briefly worked in a bookshop, the problem is you are like if you work in a restaurant, I've found that you actually lose your appetite. You're around food yeah, so yeah. much books it doesn't seem to work that way you keep you find out about these books that you didn't know you know if you if you were just wandering into a normal high street bookshop you wouldn't know about it but because you get sent all the catalogues and because the boxes come in and because there's a sample in there
2: oh i got it's... very good at it because it wasn't it was always very expensive there's that element where you can borrow things so you don't really need to buy things and i think being around it i really like um, sort of taking in the information of things, but it became much. It became much easier for me to not own things or new things. There were still things where I felt like oh, I have to get that, and I'd almost buy things out of some sort of loyalty to certain creators that I liked more than I felt I had to own it. So you'd, you'd sort of. So it was quite easy, really. And since I've stopped working in gosh I, I expected that to come back more, but quite happily, as you were saying. Uh, my million pounds deal hasn't quite come through yet. They're still working on. So until the the money actually comes in my account, I, I'm still sort of uh, reluctant to start buying lots of things until I'm a bit more <laughs> a bit more solvent. Who who made you? I mean,
0: working in the shop and and finding out that there's things you know often way in advance. Who were the people that you would get most excited going? Oh, finally, there's a new work by.
2: There'll be all kinds of. Well, often it'll be people you've sort of half forgotten about. So you'd be people who go, oh, I didn't know they were doing something, or I thought they retired, or I didn't think they were doing anything anymore, or they've moved on to different spheres. But for me, the sort of creators I really liked were people like Michael Olred, who was actually, in the time I was working at GOSH, went from someone who it was actually quite a rare, it was rare that he put things out, he then started working on more superhero things and was suddenly... Become more prolific than he's ever become in his life, and was suddenly producing. I think he now says he sort of produces about thirty pages a month. So you'd get monthly comics by someone who, when I was first into him, it was almost like it was quite rare thing to get a new Michael Red comic or something. Um, and I liked Darwin Cook, and I liked uh, the Hernandez brothers. I liked all, all kinds of people already. Yeah, but it was all. But actually, a lot of those people now, I think they are quite prolific again. and They sort of often go through times when they're not, but they do kind of put a lot out now.
0: But you were saying yeah, about that sales of comic books then as well. You know, it is, So it's, it's a very tough area.
2: Well, I think to... comics, are, it's, it's such a big thing that it's almost... It's so hard to get your head around, and I think you can only really get your head around the whole industry of comics. It's a lot easier if you work there because you can see it all. So you've sort of got mainstream... Because all we're ever really talking about in those terms that we'd sell are are things like mainstream American comics. And although there's all kinds of other things, but within the mainstream, I think the trend is now to... for creators, and it tends to be more a writerly medium again in a way that hasn't been, which isn't really my favourite kind of thing. I prefer kind of cartoonists and people that do everything themselves, really. Uh, But it's now very writerly. And there's a thing in mainstream comics, I think, where there's lots of writers who, although they seem to enjoy working in comics are also pitching things that seem like TV series. and things, Right. And that's sort of less interesting. But there's... I mean, there's a whole world outside of that that's not even... You know, yeah. that's the tip of the iceberg in there's, terms of... There's... there's,
3: there's there, you know, there's different islands. There's whole other countries of comics. Yeah. And I, I don't mean that geographically. I mean that, you know... The, 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 there's a world that is sort of like your DC and Marvel comics, and then there's like Image Comics, which is just essentially pitching for Netflix TV mm. shows, and then there's uh, then then there's sort of like your 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 auto comics and Jonathan Cape graphic novels and stuff. And then there's like cartoonists who are out there like making formatively interesting work um, and exciting work, um, and 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 then there's you know worlds of like manga and and, and stuff like that. So there's there's it, it, it's a it's an expanding market in a in a in a broader contracting market of, of book selling,
0: hmm. um, which is which is both exciting and worrying. Um, so <laughs> tell me a little bit about Lando though, because that was the first book of Breakdown Press that I, I properly kind of uh, looked at, and, yeah, and, and I loved it.
3: So Lando and Stathis. Um, they, 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 they're sort of decadence comics, is what they run, uh, and uh, that was one of the sort of motivations to start Breakdown because there were all these little pockets of wicked comics in the UK that weren't that weren't getting as much respect or recognition as they should, and so uh, publishing Lando and Stathis uh, to a to a potentially wider market was was one of the motivations for starting Breakdown, um, and they they essentially run uh, a, a small press publishing outfit. It's fiercely DIY um, and ethically run, um, uh, you know, recycled paper and all that jazz, um, and uh, their influences are as diverse as like the early UK garage scene, all the way through to like slightly more obvious um, sort of European sci-fi um, uh, manga. There's a manga called Grey, Akira, stuff like that, and they sort of fold it all into these um, to these silent um, science fiction uh, stories that are often that often sort of mix. Uh, sort of classical Greek architecture with commentaries on on late stage capitalism and uh the environmental impact of the end of the anthropocene period um and uh, in in Stathis's case Stathis is uh greek um it, it's oft, it often sort of manifests through imagery around like uh, psychedelia or fungal growths um, and, and things like that dreamlike states whereas lando often veers more towards sort of like abandoned desert scapes and sit and sort of like um, uh, superstructure cities and sort of uh, and, and those sorts of landscapes um, so it, it's just formally quite inventive um, but also from a sort of Getting a bit of action and a bit of uh, a, a bit of solid sci-fi, um, very satisfying.
2: Yeah, I would they're...
0: say yeah. If people like JG Ballard, if they and they want mm. to, I, I would really recommend that both, both of them. Yeah, they're, exactly. they're in, in that world, sorry, I
2: was no, just going to say that they're both because they. That, I think those two books, especially, really run the gamut. Where I think if you're into sort of very mainstream comics, I think you'd get a lot out of Gardens of Glass and Pneumoleptic Alerta. But it's almost like that's something where whatever you're into, I think you could get something out of those two books. Yeah. They're sort of the most accessible, I think, of the kind of, of the sort of decadence and breakdown stuff for, like, people who might otherwise be reading image books or... Yeah. And again, it sounds almost like you've been very down on image books, but it's almost like that sort of mainstream... It's exactly probably what comics should be in a way to get reach a wider audience, because... They're like, you know, sort of HBO, Netflix, TV show style comics. Mm. Uh, but it tends to be without superheroes. But they often tend to be sci-fi or crime or genre based. But they're not necessarily um, pushing anything, pushing any boundaries. But they're often quite satisfying kind of crime fiction. or, or It's like we were saying before, something like, yeah, uh, easy reading. You know. Whereas there is someone like Ed Brubaker, who I think I mentioned before on this, is someone who does crime fiction within comics, but he does it to a fairy good degree it's just that what he's doing is pulp crime mm. it's not that what he's doing is at all bad it's actually he's really good at it and he can, he can go toe-to-toe with you know you kind of max allen collins and the guys who are still doing that sort of crime fiction um uh but sort of and that's it it's like it's not that there's a problem with mainstream comics it's just you have to look for the good in everything. Mm. We have to look yeah. for the good in each genre. Yeah, definitely.
0: What do you think? I mean, in terms of because there's now so much in terms of the translation of, of comic books into Netflix series, into franchises, and you know, cinema, franch- all of those things. Do, are, are there any that you find, whether mainstream or, or 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 kind of not satisfying? What do you find the most satisfying in t- to your Adaptations. Yeah.
2: Um. I certainly have been. What have I seen recently? I don't. Often now, I think with the comics ones, I don't tend to um, watch things that I feel like it might have changed something about what I like about the comics. Um, I'm trying to think of good examples of comic book adaptations. The,
3: the thing is, I, I, because because I'm a, a grumpy and and don't like a lot of things. There there, there are examples that I can look at and say, "That's well done." but not that I would feel comfortable recommending to other people mm. um like that that um that adaptation of that Grant Morrison thing he did finally finally get pushing something through to an adaptation ha- happy Happy. I, I can look at it from a distance what's and go what's that on sorry that know? was on um, was sci-fi it AMC was or something no saying? sci-fi yeah sci-fi and it's um it's a it was a comic from boom it was image it was image um, and it's essentially a a sort of down is luck ex cop um ha- his his child that he that his estranged child gets kidnapped um and the child's imaginary friend uh uh we we don't know whether it's sort of created by him having a an accident or a drug overdose but he starts to see his child's imaginary friend who is trying to lead him back to save his child um and sci-fi did an adaptation of it and it's sort of dumb fun fast paced uh but very well put together um and like the, the I, I think the gap between adapting a comic and uh and 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 it it being the comic is smaller and smaller in, in terms of what what they can achieve visually mm. um and, uh, and, and 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 nailing the pace and stuff.
2: I think writers often write in a way now you often read things as comics that you go oh, the pace of this feels exactly like a TV show. Whereas I think comics have that ability to have the scope that's way bigger Mm, or completely different or tell stories in a completely different way than you could tell as a TV show. So often when you're reading a lot of mainstream comics, you're just going... Oh, I, it's basically like a screenplay where you've already provided the storyboards. So yeah. I think now it's a very simple way of a, a producer reading something going, Oh, I can imagine how this could be on TV. It's like, Of course you can, because you've just read it and looked at the yeah. pictures. Yeah. I have it's to just admit, so. I do
0: find with that generally, with that area, that uh, when I do go and sit, which I, I you know, because I've got a, a, a son who's of that age, uh, that I just sit there thinking, Less, mm, yeah. less, because there's no, yeah. there's no, the problem, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed, was it Thor Ragnarok? Mm. just because I think he's a brilliant director and he's Mm. very funny. And 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 I think he, you know, the the, uh, um, the the movies he's done before, like what we do in the shadows, is is fantastic. Yeah. And the the Sam Neill one, which I've now uh, the, the, hunt, 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 hunt hunt the the Wilder, wilder people. people. I, I think that humour was. But actually, if I, if I was just going to watch one of the more the, the more straight, with a little bit of irony, a bit of a tongue in cheek, all of that. Kind of, also, it's filled with supposed references for geeks and nerds, which aren't references for geeks and nerds. They're they're very mainstream. It's, it's I think we've talked yes, about yeah, this before yeah. When, when people started to do horror movies that were being a little bit kind of knowing, and they felt that by calling someone Doctor Romero, we'd all oh, what yeah. a clever you know that bit. And I, can't I, and bear I think it, yeah. yeah,
3: it is absolute body clenching moments like that. <laughs> yeah. you're just like
0: oh god, please yeah.
3: don't. I mean, that's as with with those Marvel films. It is it is sort of like uh, when when they let someone when they let someone have a little bit more of a free reign um you know they 're fraction they 're a pixel more enjoyable i think I tell you actually um in terms of adaptations uh to to move away from like the image and marvel stuff, one that I thought worked um and was based on something that was actually good was um End of the fucking world on uh on e four because that 's a chuck Falls Fors- charles forsman uh comic um that, that that we stocked, and the director actually found it in in gosh. Um uh, and then sort of got in contact with him and, and, and turned it into a into a Channel Four Netflix show. And that was you know, uh, that was a great show. So it's a better comic.
2: Historically but, as well, something like Terry Zwygoff's Ghost World is a great movie, yeah. I think. And I think at the time people Oh
0: I found it quite problematic. I oh, really. Yeah, because I liked some of the things that I liked in that, in the book were the weird, almost lynchian character that kind of aren't in it. Maybe I should watch it again because well, well, perhaps that's the is he yeah part of the story was taken and some of the stranger kind of characters with goiters etc yes. were removed.
2: Well, I, I talk about this with um, Haley Campbell, who used to work in Gosh a lot, and we talk about that film a lot. And I think a lot of it is that thing almost of it's about two um, two young women who grow up and one changes a bit and the other one doesn't. No. And one of the uh, one of the things I like about it is that. Uh, there's a bit where the Scarlett Hansen character is working in a cafe and um, Thora Birch's character starts going, oh, look at that guy over there, look at that guy. And um, But then she's going, yeah, this is who comes in here all the time. And it feels that there are certain parallels you can draw to working in kind of comic shops and things with those kind of people where it's not, it's almost that she, the person who you're supposed to uh, be the protagonist actually starts becoming, you sort of shift focus on who's the person you kind of yeah. like more. And I like that between them. Um, and I think the movie works really well. I know a lot of people who are really into the comic didn't like the movie at first. But I think when you read the comic again now, it does feel so... Because it was serialised, it isn't terribly satisfying, and adapting it completely straight wouldn't be as satisfying as a movie. Yeah, But it is that by having Dan Clowes also writing the screenplay, it does have that. Or he wrote it with Weigoff, I think, to get it. actually create a movie it does i think that's one of the most sort of satisfying adaptations now of a comic
0: i have to say his documentary on robert crumb yeah it's probably one of the reasons that i can't really read robert crumb anymore you know there's a (laughs) certain (laughs) point where you go "Uh," you know the genesis book which was a kind of very you know that but there was a that if you've not seen it people have seen the 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 documentary probably about 20 years old now isn't it uh documentary about robert crumb and his two brothers um it's, it's an extremely disturbing film oh, yeah. actually I really yeah, yeah. would say that it, it, you watch it at the time and you go they're kind of weird and then the more you think about it the more you're disturbed by whatever yes. had created that particular family and I
2: love that idea that when you watch it Crumb's such a sort of outsider figure and it's like wow how's he come up with all this stuff and you realise in his family he's like uh, the super normal one yeah. <laughs> he's like he's <laughs> the one he's the, he's he's the white ship yeah. of the family <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like... he really is and you go wow but actually it's extraordinary what Everyone else is doing, and he's got. Was it Maxton? And yeah. uh, it's just short. It is a absolutely fascinating film. So okay. make sure we cover because you brought some books yeah, in as I well, as well as, well as, well as the breakdown press books. stuff as well. Yeah.
0: Um, what, what have you got, Tom? What, what
3: have you... Well,
2: I, I, can could, could I do a breakdown
3: press? Yeah, book? of course you can. Is yeah, that all right. Um, so the the first one uh, is Window Pane, which yeah. we which we've just published. Um, Oh, and the complete window pane. It's it's uh, it's issues three and four of window pane and some new stuff. Okay. Um, and it's it's the anthology by Joe Kessler, who's a, a, a British artist and he is also our art director, so he does all the design on all our books and stuff. Um, and they're sort of, I mean, they're sort of whimsical, uh, whimsical tales about sort of like it's about it's about power structures, youth, sex, and. Uh, It's sort of Hockney influenced, sort of Calvino style stories um, that that draw a lot from his childhood and uh, from sort of like the awkwardness of of teenage years. Um, But what's most impressive about it and and one of the reasons why I'm really excited to have published it is um, just how inventive it is with the medium and and what he does with color and what he does with uh with page layouts and stuff like that um and it's it's really uh you know this this is a book that when we published i'm like oh yeah job job done this is this is really what what breakdown's about um this this sort of uh boundary pushing boundary pushing
0: comics and you've got one other one as well, though.
3: Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, one that we published recently, um, and it's uh, an, ex, an ex-Gosh staff member mm. um, and a, a good friend of Nat's. Yeah. Uh, John Chandler, um, oft described as Britain's most isolated cartoonist. <laughs> um,
2: where, where, is, where does he live now? He's in Suffolk. He's, He's in, in Suffolk,
3: uh, in the wilds of Suffolk. In the wilds of Suffolk, um, and so uh John's sort of loosely connected with decadence, who we were talking about earlier, and he, he normally works in sort of like with, with sort of like genre tropes and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um uh, and uh this is a collection called Wet Shape in the Dark, and they're unsettling short stories um where bad things happen to uh to the protagonist. Um and, and they're all quite short and all very weird and John works in this sort of um sort of uh beautifully ugly sort of if you were if if you weren't very smart you might think that it's sort of faux naive um but it's not it's uh it's it, it's doing a lot with a little um and it, essentially each one of these short stories is sort of like deals with genre tropes and sort of um so he's influenced
2: a lot by cinema would you say Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And especially that kind of early 80s cinema is a big sort of influence on his Someone like John would be obsessed with Silent Running, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, totally. And often he draws things often in things like he'd just use ballpoint pens for years and years. And he's also got this really... Sort of upsetting trend of just getting bored of his own stuff and then burning all of his original art in there's bins, a, and, yeah, there's a, he, and he, there's he goes to a tree Don't do somewhere. That, yeah. there's a tree somewhere in the countryside where he stuffed all his burned manuscripts
3: <laughs> on his own on a <laughs> like yeah. a, a pilgrimage to it. But but this this book, Wet Shape in the Dark, it was sort of inspired by. He did a he did a, a, a short comic that's essentially um, you, the reader, are involved, and it's about a guy trying to trick you into getting into a hole. <laughs> um, and and he's talking to you off the page, and you're sort of following
2: it. Um, and this, and then... that was sort of like a good example. Cause often his um, often his work has this sort of really sort of funny element to it that yeah. I think you can read it as like I read it often knowing John and finding it really amusing, whereas I can imagine other people might read it and go. Oh, what does that mean? And he go, "It's a joke." It's <laughs> quite a thing. Yes, that yeah. that
0: line—it's a bit like I remember a, fr- a friend of mine, Martin White, get, who, who studied kind of Kafka and stuff, and he used to get really annoyed at the way that uh, they were always done as kind of, or quite often filmed uh, or created in a way where everything's weird, expressionistic angles. And he went, "No, no, no. Part of it is is the mundane yeah, nature yeah, of it, yeah. and that also another part of it is that sometimes it is meant to be funny. You think, yeah. oh, imagine waking up and you're a beetle.' And if <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah, imagine, <laughs> oh, I'm playing <laughs> beetle, you know." That is the,
3: Exactly. That's that is, yes, that is that's exactly, exactly John's scenario. John's tone because there's that sort of um, that sort of uh, cheeky darkness that that Britain does so well, where it's a bit cheeky and it's a bit funny, but actually it's like, and now you're trapped in a hole, I yeah. like and you're wearing it. a duck suit. Isn't that funny? <laughs> but you are trapped in a hole wearing a duck suit, and you're going to die. Um, but but also it's absurd, um, and that's um, you know that's that's John Chandler.
2: I hope the the subgenres we've talked about. Um, um, quiet sci-fi and uh, cheeky darkness take it off can I have a look at that one the, uh... yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, you can have uh,
0: it no, oh brilliant That's uh, Nat what, what have you brought
2: along with you oh I just you... was in Gosh earlier and I hadn't been so I thought oh these are really interesting things um, one of them is Al Columbia who's exactly what we're talking about someone who does things very rarely and was part of that kind of 80s um, alternative comic scene uh, but his stuff is sort of very influenced by sort of Max Fleischer cartoons. Mm. and um, But they are so – he sort of takes what was sort of dark in those things where you go, oh, that's quite creepy and things. But he does it and he almost think, takes things that look like them but are – Incredibly creepy and disturbing, and that's that's a book
3: of sort of fake um, fake oh, film posters yeah. published
2: by Floating World. Really, the is. but he's such a beautiful illustrator, and he really does stuff. And he sort of moved away from comics and entered the kind of lowbrow art scene in the in the nineties. And but he was such a sort of big influence on lots of other cartoonists who have kind of gone on to be bigger and better. And he kind of left it behind. And I think probably, I mean, Imagine, I like to think, made a lot of money from that kind of lowbrow art thing, but you never really know. And I think there was a big demand for his comics. And in the 90s, he was um, he would write a couple of comics, but you wouldn't see anything. And it wasn't, I think, until that, what was it, um, uh, the thing that Fantagraphics published, was it Peep? Like
1: Pin and Francie. Oh, Pin and Francie. Yeah.
2: Where that was like the first thing that had come out for years and yeah, years yeah, by Columbia. Yeah. He was going to be the artist on Big, Big numbers, numbers, wasn't
3: he? Yeah, yeah. And he supposedly did a couple of issues that he that he burnt. Oh, OK. Um, you can see Big Numbers issue three online um, because... Oh, uh, can you? I didn't know that. Well, you can... A photocopy of it. So um, Alan Moore sort of... I don't know what to call him. Historian or interviewer. And I, I really... I forget pronounce his name wrong. Is it Padraig...
2: McLeod. Oh I know. yeah, yeah. He um, did that he, a uh,
0: very lengthy interview of, a, a couple of years back. Yeah, with, yeah, with, yeah.
3: He he, I think he bought it on eBay, a photocopy of it, and with Alan's permission, put it put it on online. Um, but uh, and and that was that was still um, what's his face uh, Bill Sinkovich. Bill Sinkovich, doing yeah. doing the pencils on that, um, and then Al Columbia was supposed to take it over as sort of someone who worked with Sinkovich, but uh, supposedly um, supposedly burnt it. So. It's a shame that's a real that's a real loss to the ages big numbers. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's a fast. I mean the yeah, two volume you can still pick up one and yeah. two. No, it's not too difficult to get them as, as No, far no, as no, as no, they it, turn yeah. up quite often. Um the uh now you've got also on your hand I just Ken Reid.
2: Ken Reid. Ken Reid's uh uh from the pages of Shiver and Shake. But there was the, Did, did he, he also
0: did Monster Fun, didn't he? Did he do Monster Fun or was he never was he never in Monster Fun?
2: Oh, no I believe so yeah no, I think this might be... to say I was gonna
0: shiver and shake a monster fun is, I was just I was down in my favorite bookshop, which is um, Camilla's which is an incredible is that? Uh, it's in Eastbourne yeah. and it's one of those buildings which is you can see the timbers are beginning to just slightly move due to the weight of books inside a secondhand bookshop on three floors and uh, they've got so many books that each time you go back you, if you've put on weight you won't be able to get to some of the sections because <laughs> and and sometimes you're browsing and you go well I might as well stop there because there's no way I'll be able to pull that book out yeah. <laughs> due to the weight of books above it. But I always get, but they, they had some fantastic annuals because my son is a huge fan of, we're always looking for Buster annuals um, and he starts to like Monster Fun as well. I mean, he likes a lot of the kind of slightly old stuff now, but he really enjoys. Yeah. We've done all his 1970s annuals. We've got 1973 Knockout. Yeah. Uh, and we were debating over which ones I was certain that the Toffs and the Tufts were not merely in uh, Knockout but were in other ones as well but he said Toffs and the Tufts only were but we oh, knew okay. the fusspot had actually moved around well often so they, would thing they would do that thing where they would merge that's the kind they? Of yeah. relationship I have <laughs> with my son
2: <laughs> those comics of the sort of, uh, 70s would have a thing where they would often be a lot of what they'd, the money they make from them would be subscription based so what they'd do is if they stopped making money in news agents they would then fold them into another comic that was running yeah. so it take some of those characters and put them in another one just so they could keep those subscription numbers and saying oh you were getting monster fun but now it's monster fun in uh, shiver and shake or something so it would be that for a couple of issues when the sort of lower selling title would suddenly get removed from those sales figures
3: I was was looking online the other day at someone who posted uh, some annual sales figures of it's just incredible the idea that x tens of thousands of people uh were subscribed to yes yes to monster fun uh, yeah. for a period um, yeah. and, and that real sort of like i bet the cancellation point on those 70s kids comics, if anyone could achieve that now, yes. even with they would they would they, they would smother a baby to get it. They really would. It's you know, incredible. they were all
0: Fleetway, were they? Those ones. Were they those ones were Fleetway,
3: weren't
2: they? Yeah. IPC, IPC. Because some of DC them are the amazed
0: at the not the laziness, but the speed that must have been required. Mm. Because you look at certain strips and you go, oh, whoever did this one had time to do some shading. But the rest are just line, yeah, line, yeah, yeah. pointy nose, <laughs> fat, thin, dog end, you know, and, and they're so sparse.
3: Yeah. Unlike but Ken Reed is uh is sort of like wall to wall solid quality.
2: Yeah.
0: But yeah, Ken Reed so, so was it Frankie Frank Enstein or
2: Frankie?
0: Frank yeah, Frank, Enstein, Frank yes. Enstein. Frankie Enstein, yeah. Um and that
3: book. Should we just get Davy. the title
0: of
2: that. That's uh, this one is a new one. So it's Ken Reid's Creepy Creations. Because they've done so a load sort of... of
0: these. So who's bringing these out then? So,
2: so Rebellion, who owned 2000
3: AD and various sort of, and Roy of the Rovers and and various sort of uh, computer games companies. They, they they bought the IPC archives um and which which at the time filled me with a little bit of dread because i i was i i didn't know what what they would do with like the republishing um but they 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 actually doing really sympathetic nice uh republishing sort of like misty and uh, ken reed stuff um and this is their second ken reed collection they did face ache first um, which was wicked and then creepy creations which is uh, kids making suggestions for monsters and winning a pound and Ken Reed drawing them um, and uh, for a pound for a pound <laughs> yeah, probably um, Ken Reed actually in in the new league of extraordinary gentlemen the new Alan Moore thing he's doing a sort of uh, the first page he's doing a sort of history of like oh, that's right, um, yeah. of like fucked over um uh, uh, British, British creators, cartoonists yes. and Ken Reed is 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 one of them um and he um uh, uh yeah, he's 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 just war to war quality, as, as that book.
0: As yeah, that this, book shows. This, a lot of this, a lot of this book is rather than the strips, which the previous one, of course, was a lot of strips are the the full page. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, What might have been on the back page or really creepy well, creations the freaky fried fish finger from Froome, the barmy Birmingham banjo basher, a crab nosed clod hopper from Cleethorpes and the feathered flop from Filey are amongst them. It's it very um, much in the cheeky darkness genre, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I, there's also yeah, a level yeah. of quiet science fiction to it yeah, 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 as well. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I just love things like I like those ones. Where there's no pun, it's just mini monster, Sherlock foot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, and it's wonderful. It's this kind of wart nosed, deerstalker hatted um, ankle Ooh. with a warty foot. And that's Pretty, Sherlock. very sort of, foot. of Basil
2: Wolverton sort of yeah, yeah. Um, style. But yeah. But it does, it's a nice idea. That it was just a kid's idea the horrific yeah, hot water
0: for... bottle from Formby, yeah. brilliant <laughs> and uh, we've nearly run out of time but t- Tom what, what else have you um, got there Ben I, just, Not, I non, literally, just, I your literally own...
3: just yeah this is what I'm reading this is what was in my bag that I'm reading at the moment I'm reading uh, Leonora Carrington's The Hearing Trumpet which is lots of cheeky fun um, <laughs> it's great uh, it, she even chucks in some illustrations um, but that's you know, really. There's uh, some
0: exhibition coming up involving uh, her. Isn't yeah, it, there
3: yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. So she was a surrealist painter. Um, I, th-
0: I think they're doing. Is it the Tate are doing it? I don't know. Because um, there's a great the surrealist painting one. I'd highly recommend. It's one of one of Stuart Lee's favourites as well. With there was an exhibition. I never saw the exhibition uh, called Angels of Anarchy, which is all about the female uh, um, surrealist. The, the, um, yeah, yeah. You know the the, the who are often overlooked. Yeah, yeah. and and it's a really good... If you look online, you'll see it's very, very expensive, but if you go to Manchester Art Gallery, they still have copies from that exhibition, and oh, wow. it's really worth getting. It's only about 14 99 It's fantastic illustrating. and again, that kind that of... That is
3: right up my alley, yeah. Well,
0: it's interesting, because when you mentioned the Ken Reid, the kind of the, the done-over um, artists, I know that uh, um, Alan Moore was having trouble because the kind of female comic Book writers are so, if if they ever even got the chance, are then written out of history. And I know he was, you know, trying to find the information was getting harder and harder. Yeah, and yeah. I know I know for some of the later issues, I think of the new league that there's you know it's made sure that that that's in there as well. Mm. Yeah. that's
2: a comic currently being published that I was very much looking forward to, and have been picking up as soon as they've come out. I do love it; I yeah. absolutely love it. What so, it. The new league? The mm. yeah, the, the
0: TV twenty one is, yeah. is,
2: that, is that the latest one? The
0: TV twenty no, no. one. There's a, there's a new now, one out now with isn't sort one? of like a, oh, it's more like a of a Misty, Kids, isn't
3: it? Mini the Minks, Mini the Minx, yeah, style front cover uh, because it's riffing on all the British comics from from over the over the years, but like. Uh, It is brilliant. It's absolutely wicked. Totally impenetrable if you haven't read any league before. Oh, um, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but all, definitely a, a good reason to pick up League Volume One. Yeah.
0: Well, it is um, there. Uh, we, if, uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, we we did a conversation about this also with uh, Barney Farmer, who does some some wonderful Viz cartoons and, and a brilliant book based around one of the Drunken Baker characters. And uh, if you don't, this is kind of um, Alan and Kevin's farewell from comics, yeah. isn't it? It's like so they're putting everything, mm. every, every literally yeah, everything yeah. in. And when you put everything in, there is a point where you go, yeah, because that is everything. It's quite hard to work out. This is a
2: great example of a British comic that's still wonderful and is really overlooked in sort of discussions about British comics still yeah, and in, and especially internationally when you think, like, I know some of it probably doesn't travel so well, but you do think, like, I'd love them to have sort of international published kind of collections of certain viz trips. And things. Well, I it's think... annoying because I, I do find quite often I'll bring it up to people and, and they say, oh, I used to read it.
0: And mm. the number of people, and, and as you said, I think that in the last few years in particular... It's been created some of its best stuff, some yeah, of its yeah. darkest kind of satire. Which again, you might not a bit when we were saying when you don't know whether something. Some of you were going to laugh at this, and some of yeah. you were going to go, "I'm kind of perturbed." You mm. know, you know, especially you a lot were of in stuff.
3: you were in Viz. You were in one of the first new issues that I bought of Viz about about five or six years ago, and it was Robin Ince's mints, Robin Ince's mints or something. And oh. you were you were you were in it. I um, don't know about um, that. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> you had a little yeah. Robin Ince loves his mints. <laughs> Oh, uh, I think it was yeah Satire. I hope it's, it's true satire it's yeah, fine Do still have mints no it is it is yeah well yeah. I,
0: I like a corn or, or any vegetarian form of mints I will I'm very happy to have a vegetarian shepherd's pie made from vegetarian style mints yeah yeah
3: because it was, it was, it was uh, I think it was, uh, it was a full page thing about Prince loving mints and also Robin Ince loved Mince. Oh.
0: Um, How did I miss that one?
3: Yeah, <laughs> no. you were, you were in there. But I think also this is one of those ones where I think people, um, some people have a have a very different idea about what it is, and I think they think it's a little more, a little more sort of right of centre and and stuff like that. When All that it's when just kind of it's, fart jokes, yeah, yeah, yes, and, yeah. When it's and just, it is sometimes, but yeah. they're really good ones, <laughs> yeah. Even, you know, yeah. That, that's the <laughs> um, when it's when, when when it's you know, it's good, it's still funny. It's one of the few comics that makes me laugh out yeah, loud, yeah. It does,
2: it makes you laugh out loud. You can't think yeah. of that. There's very few comics do that. Well,
0: I was glad to find out that one of the favorite uh, Jason and Joel who who went and did the the Ladybird books, and, oh, yes, yeah, uh, yeah. now do uh, what's it called, Rule of Three podcast, and uh, found out they did the one the brilliant news headline which is uh, I can do. Dog turds, says Yuri uh, Geller, which Uri Geller really had, had a power to shit out dog turds. And uh, it's uh, one of the great headlines of all time.
2: <laughs> good. Wonderful. And you've got one more. Yeah, one uh, more.
3: Um, Born to be Posthumous uh, by Mark Derry, uh, which is a biography of Edward Gorey. Um, oh, brilliant. Which has just come out. And it, it is, it, it's really good. Um, I, again, I've only just started it. Uh, but the 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 first most revelatory thing for me in reading it is, I I had a book um, by a guy called Simon Henwood, um, that's uh, that was like uh, it's famous because it's like one of some of the few f- uh, colour photographs of Edward Gorey, and it's basically him visiting him in his in his house in Cape Cod as an old man surrounded by cats and books. It's, it's quite a small book, yeah, quite yeah, yeah, a small I've book. Picked, yeah,
0: weirdly I yeah. picked up from book exchange, not in your book exchange. Yeah, 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 maybe it was your
3: copy. Yeah, 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 um, <laughs> and. Uh, and, and so you have an eye, and because of Edward Gorey's work um so Edward Gorey being a cartoonist sort of a, a a cartoonist who does sort of like dark simple um uh, little stories uh, that have like horrible twists and stuff to them um you sort of you, you get this idea of him being this guy who lives in isolation and is sort of obsessed with edwardian england and 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 stuff like that and inspired tim burton and all those sort of awful people um but but what the book really quickly does is sort of dispel that a bit and be like, ah, he was massively into ballet, huge part of the New York art scene, going out drinking with Susan Song Tang, you know, and also he was like obsessed with like loads of midbrow stuff as well. Watch Star Trek: The Next Generation and and all this sort of stuff, and sort of, fleshes him out as uh, as a sort of fully rounded human individual. And so I'm really looking forward to like going on a bit of a deep dive into this it's sort of crazy isn't it? that
0: that we were talking about I think a couple of weeks ago about you know Tove Jansen that uh, yeah. her, you know that the, the publishers wanted people to believe she was just this weird woman who lived alone mm. which was basically because she was a lesbian in yeah. a long-term relationship and again not the there was there's in, in an issue of Art Quarterly recently. I, I missed it. There was a big exhibition at the Dulwich Picture Gallery, wasn't yes, there? Yeah, was it? Yes, yeah, I went down. Paintings as well. Yeah, yeah, and it looked great. But it's fascinating, isn't it? Those legends, which are sometimes just because we make presumptions mm. and it fits in mm. neatly. Yeah, yeah, and then other times it's just because. But the again, truth,
2: the truth is sometimes just a bit more boring. Yeah. As well, like, you yeah. know, oh, it's you know, or it's much easier for to...
0: publishers, problematic yes, in yeah, certain yes, times yeah. for them to sell that person, yeah. unless they create you know, dark or yes. a well, as, we were, as we were cover-up. chatting
3: about before we came in that, that that idea that you, you know, you don't want you, you know, you, you don't want uh, someone who makes uh, who makes like dumb little cartoons to be into to be into opera, and and equally, you don't want someone who's like a scientist to like you know star trek the next generation mm. it's or uh, well not so star- that's that's too too obvious they love to link, it, but you yeah. know what i mean yeah um, <laughs> like um, uh, something very lowbrow
0: well i think it's robin hitchcock i remember the the first time that i met robin hitchcock of, of the uh, Ag- egyptians and soft boys and various others there's someone he said there's a friend of his who is what people think he would be like off stage yeah because on stage you know he goes off and he does these strange you know wonderful lengthy absurdist intro- intros but he's just—he's a, a you know normal guy with an interesting mind. <laughs> yeah, and and I think true. We were mentioning Alan Moore before. I think you know that people will presume that he, Alan lives in a strange dark yes, house. Yeah. He? If anyone comes and knocks on the door, he goes, "Get away, small <laughs> children." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, he's nothing like that. But he just doesn't necessarily like. He's one of the nice. He's much. one of the nicest men in comics. Yeah.
3: Oh, he's <laughs> <I>, just—he's
2: <laughs> just—he's just—he's also—he's just like really honest, and he just says things. Yeah. And he's like, I think oh, that's you know, when sort of going back to what you we are saying at the beginning. I think there's that thing of but when you're talking about there's often in comics sort of news, it's like, oh, Alan Moore's done an interview where he says he hates comics and all comics. And it's like, he hasn't said that hasn't at said all. He said that at all. He yeah. said, and often it's exactly what you're talking about, that what he doesn't like is that sort of small portion of comics that uh, a lot of comics people is all comics. It's like, I don't really like the or, Marvel or and DC comics. Or,
3: or Like, he doesn't like the business practices of, like, corporations the... that have screwed him over for <laughs> years. And it's like, yeah, he's entitled to a small amount of embitterment, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> You know, um, thank you both for coming in. Uh, Nathaniel, you can hear more of his work on uh (laughs) Friday, isn't it? The Friday Food Bar Radio with uh Nick Helm as well. And uh, Tom, you can well, we've got off to breakdownpress.com. Go and have a look at breakdownpress.com. I really would. I mean, as a start, if I was going to start with anyone, I would start with that Lando Garden Gardens of Glass. Uh, not that there's any because they're all very different styles, but it's just an incredible piece of work and it was the one that I found most kind of revelatory of everything but there's loads of interesting um, things there so have a look at that Uh, Joseph will be back with us soon Uh, please do go and try and support us on Patreon Um, basically uh, we're quite hand to mouth at the moment because we're trying to uh, fund a load of science blogs because The Guardian doesn't do their science blogs anymore so we've taken on a lot of those people and we have lots of uh, increasing number of science blogs and science podcasts up there Um, so thanks for listening go to Cosmicshambles.com website. Bye-bye.
1: Yes, thank you very much for listening. Uh, check out the online shop at Cosmicshambles.com shop. Uh, our Patreon is Cosmicshambles.com bookshambles. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Until then, be good to each other.
0: This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.